filled with losses in both legendary music musicians uh actors the works we'll talk a little bit about that today including jerry stiller's passing at 95 today in sports alberto del rio gets arrested for domestic violence among other things we'll talk a little bit about that in video game news civilization 6 has a new frontier pass coming out we'll talk a little bit about that plus we have a special guest on the Xander Effect. Director Thomas J. Churchill will be on the show, and he'll be chatting with me a little bit about his journey on how he became a director. Plus, he schools me a little bit on the differences between New York and Los Angeles, and the very interesting differences that I found was like, yeah, that's pretty much very true. But first, before we get into all that, here is Amanda Holly's Runaway right here on the Xander Effect. I, 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 I. No, I don't give a damn. I, 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 I. You just screwed up, miss your chance. I'm on a new wave and need to slow it down, but pump your brakes. Run away, 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 run away,
This is Nightmare from Dirty Machine, and you're listening to The Xander Effect. Let's get it. You a liar. You a liar. You a liar. You, you a liar. Machines Discord right here on the Xander Effect. In entertainment news, it's been a very sad weekend uh, in the entertainment industry as we have lost so many legends this weekend. It started with the loss of uh, of Roy from Siegfried and Roy. He passed away on Friday. Then the very next day, little Richard uh, passed away along with many others over the weekend, along with uh, Andre Harrell and Betty Wright. All legends in in the entertainment industry, and today was also a huge loss because we lost uh, actor and comedian Jerry Stiller. 
he passed away at the age of 90, 92. His son, Ben Stiller, went on social media and posted on Twitter saying, I'm sad to say, quote, I'm sad to say that my father, Jerry Stiller, passed away from natural causes. He was a great dad and grandfather and the most dedicated husband to Anne for about 62 years. He will be greatly missed. Love you, dad. End quote. So uh, Jerry Stiller, he, he started his career, uh, at, you know, back in the 1950s. And he basically started his career with his wife at the time, Anne Mira. Uh, and, and they both had uh, a show together that's, that pretty much went on for about a decade called Stiller and Mira. It started in the 1960s up until 1970s when they both decided to break up the act and do their own thing. They, they did many things over the years. Jerry Stiller continued in obviously comedy television sitcoms he was mostly he was very famous for his role on uh seinfeld uh you know playing playing uh uh you know playing one of the act one of the characters is uh fathers uh joe costanza's father and then he went on to uh being uh, you know the father uh, uh, you know on king of Qu- uh king of queens um you know he, he played Arthur Spooner in uh, King of Queens. So he, he did a lot of awesome things. He also did a lot of movies. He did, a, he did Zoolander with, uh, with uh, Ben Stiller. He played, he played uh, Ben Stiller's agent in Zoolander. Uh, he played Derek Zoolander's agent. Uh, so that was very interesting as well. So he did a many, many things. And, you know, it's definitely a huge loss in the entertainment industry. My condolences go to the Stiller family. In other entertainment news... Looks like Deadpool 3 may not happen. This this coming actually as IGN got some uh, got some information from an interview via uh, with Inverse via film with the one of the writers, one of the creators of Deadpool. They pretty much asked them now that they they they, they, they had an interview with um, with uh, creator Rob Leefield, and they asked them what's going to happen with Deadpool now that you know they're a part of Disney and the MCU universe. And he basically didn't give the best news. He said, "Quote: I don't know. Here's what people don't want to hear, but thank God I'm a realist. I feel like Deadpool, the movies, they've all set they've set sail." We, we got two brilliant movies and we live in a culture that always looks forward because all they're ever selling us is next, next, next. It's the fever. For me, as the fever calms down, people just need to calm down and realize that Deadpool 1 and 2 were released within two years of each other, 2016 and 2018. And I just can't. I'm not really that crazy about Marvel's plan right now. He went on to say, and this is the nail in the coffin virtually, and he went on to say, quote, know what their plan for Deadpool is right now? Goose egg. Zero, zero. That's not cool. That's really not cool. Um, I'm a Deadpool fan. I'm sure many people are Deadpool fans. So this is not good that they're pretty much, the plan is zero at this time. Ryan Reynolds was also asked that question um, when he had an interview with, uh, with Jimmy Fallon. And Ryan, when they asked him about that, he was a little bit more, I guess you might say, he was a little bit more optimistic because Ryan Reynolds is one of the writers, one of the creators of Deadpool. And he was a little bit more optimistic at the time. But who knows? Maybe they just received news that doesn't really, didn't really go fair their way. So that could be, that could be what's going on right now. And that would really suck for a lot of Deadpool fans, especially for me, because I love both one and two. Hell, part two was even funnier than the first one, in my opinion. 
So, and that's rare for sequels to actually be funnier than the than the than the first one. So, man, that kind of that kind of disappoints me a little bit. But we'll see what happens. Anything can happen. Uh, things may change, and you know we just have to wait and see what happens. In other entertainment news. Comic-Con is going to be held like everything else is going to have a virtual home right now. As we all know, San Diego Comic-Con was canceled in uh, mid-April due to the current uh, coronavirus pandemic. And uh, a spokesperson, uh, uh, David Glanzer, basically said, Extraordinary times require extraordinary measures, and while we are saddened to take this action, we know it's the right decision. We eagerly look forward to the time when we can all meet again and share in the community we all love and enjoy. Well... Some good news for a lot of Comic-Con fans. It looks like they might go the virtual route, just like many other conventions are going as of right now. Um, Basically, you know, they went ahead and posted something on Twitter with a video that says, Coming soon. And the video basically said, Coming soon, free parking, comfy chairs, personalized snacks, no lines, pets welcome, badges for all, and a front row seat to Comic-Con at home. So... It's it. There, there's really no more, no more, no other uh, information other than that. It also said, "See you this summer." Hashtag Comic Con at home. Obviously, they're gonna go with a virtual route, but no word yet as to where this is gonna be. Uh, this video is gonna, be, this um, footage is gonna be, or when, or what time, or anything. Nothing, nothing has been set in stone just yet. So. A lot of comic book fans, you have to go ahead and wait eagerly to see where, when Comic-Con will come virtually to a living room near you. In other entertainment news, I had the opportunity to go ahead and interview director Thomas J. Churchill. And he basically um, gave me the insight on how his journey went from starting, you know, from, from filming an independent film at the age of 17 to now filming a multitude of films that are streaming both on Amazon Prime and on Netflix. And he also has a slate full of films that he's filming this year as well. And also he he kind of schooled me a little bit on the small little differences between uh, between wordings of Los Angelinos and New Yorkers. You're gonna have to check that out. But first, here is Riley Sawyer and Eliza X Young Trigger in Roll Up, right here on The Xander Effect.
You know I had to show love, cause when you make it bounce, I'm about to get 20 ounce of that Coca-Cola. Shake it up, then I watch it bubble like soda. You know it's over when I introduce you to the Cobra. Legs on my shoulders, body smoking like sour D. So baby girl, my guess is you a ill roller. I bet it's so good, this shit'll put me in a coma. I'ma kill it, you about to catch it like this shit Corona. Baby, you a stoner, I got a lot of by your friends. And when you done, shorty, hang the phone up. Damn, damn shorty, take a pic, rich nigga shit. Hit a lick, spin it quick, give you back shots like I'm ignorant. Slide up inside you. You ain't believe me that I saw you like Riley Call me a Elijah I have director Thomas J. Churchill on the show. Hey, Thomas, how are you doing today? Hey, how are you? Uh, it's another beautiful quarantine day in paradise. Happy Mother's Day. Hey, thank you. I've been called a lot of mother things, you know. But <laughs> happy, mother, happy Mother's Day to you as well. <laughs> thanks, thanks, man. Yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it's a crazy, uh, crazy time to have a Mother's Day right now in quarantine, you know, with everybody, the thing that's going on. But I'm sure that, uh, you know, we're all making the best of it. But speaking of quarantine, you know, we were talking right before we started uh, the interview, how you were actually like you ended shooting one of your films right before quarantine began. Yeah, um, it was kind of crazy, but lucky at the same time. Uh, we just finished a Christmas movie and we literally stopped. We wrapped the day before quarantine was like uh mandatory oh i think wow. it was uh i think it was like march 18th or something like that we wrapped but it was literally the day before everything got shut down and oh. uh well you know it was it was it would have been a bitch to come back to uh to just to get in a few scenes you know after like months later but you know it was uh I'm, i feel good what we shot what we got and was grateful that we ended up before uh all this happened yeah no kidding no kidding especially like you know budget wise and everything that could be very costly on a movie set that's for sure so you guys you guys definitely had to take advantage of that but let's go ahead and start from the beginning as to how you got started in uh the film industry because i sense a little bit of an accent in in your Uh voice so i'm thinking Uh you're not from california (laughs) no no um uh, I, as much as my, I feel like my soul uh, and spirit is from California. I'll tell you that story in a, uh, in a little bit. But uh, I come from a, uh, a very small place. 
uh, called New York. I don't know if you've heard of it. I, I mean, I've heard mention of it from time to time. It's hard to find on a map. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I made, uh, made my first film at 17 years old. Uh, I actually started off being an actor. Um, I had the acting bug and wanted, uh, did some music videos and some shorts and was background and a couple of features. But it wasn't until uh, I was about 17 years old uh, I ended up uh, convincing my dad to buy me a video camera, which mm -hmm. at the time, you know, cameras were very expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I ended up, he made me end up getting a part-time job and worked it off for it, which I'm grateful for because it taught me responsibility and everything else. But uh, I made my first film at 17 years old. I was still in high school and I mainly did it because I wanted to showcase who I was in, as an actor. And I wrote the script, uh, produced it, directed it, starred in it, along with uh, friends and family and some, some actors that were kind of up-and-comers uh, at the time but didn't know it. And uh, I shot this film called The War Master. And uh, it was mainly to just showcase my talents as an actor. But uh, Xander, I fell in love with the process of of putting this project together and, oh, yeah. and directing. And and uh, I mean, I've been writing short stories and little things since I I, I was I was uh, uh, I guess first grade. Uh, actually, I have a certificate of star doctor of storytelling from <laughs> um, from kindergarten. Wow! So so uh, it goes way back. And um, thank God that I started crafting it because I think if I would be telling those stories from kindergarten now, nobody would take me serious. <laughs> it's, you know, and it's so funny that you say that because I'm actually the same. You, you and I have a lot in common, actually, in that because um, so I'm a writer by by not only by uh, by education, by profession, but by nature. Because also when I was like in, in elementary school, I would I would receive awards as well for writing. And the ironic thing is that I I I I, I'm, I hate writing sometimes, <laughs> but I mean I start getting the bug, like you said, you know, you start getting the bug, and you and you just start going at it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was. My, I have a picture. I, I have to dig up. My mother snapped the picture of me. Um, I used to imitate. There used to be a TV show uh, back in the day. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, called. The Night Stalker, uh -huh. uh, with Darren McGavin, and and he was a uh, he was like a um, a reporter. So every episode, you always saw him typing. You know, puts on his hat, and he's always typing. And I was just like a baby. Uh, I don't know, three, four, and so I used to type, make believe I was typing on. I guess it was my mom's typewriter at the time, and I didn't have a fedora. Because the guy wore a fedora, so I wore my Mouseketeerias, <laughs> and and there's a I got this picture somewhere. I should find it because that's my earliest memory of making believe like like I was making believe I was writing, you nice. know, because I was doing what he was doing, and then I started to learn what that really is, and then started telling stories uh, in kindergarten about you know just various things, and and that led to. When I was in elementary school, I used to do classroom plays 
um, for my, my, my class with my mm -hmm. teacher and everything else. And uh, it wasn't because I was always into the acting. And mm -hmm. then it was junior high school. I mean, I had, a, I had a very serious lisp all the way up to junior high school. Mm -hmm. And I remember trying out for the school play, which was uh, Greece, and they liked me enough to play Zuko, but I can't sing. I, I can't sing. I can't hold the note if it was if I was carrying it in a band. <laughs> and so they wanted to give me. Now Zuko had a lot of singing uh, scenes, and then they said, you know, you'd be great as Kaniki, but Kaniki also has a song. Mm -hmm. So the third the third um, role for a guy was Sonny Latiri. And um, I made it my own at the time. Like I, you know, he, in the movie, he's the guy that pulls out the water pistol. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but I added lines, you know, not part of the script. And it gave the, it got a standing ovation and all. But before I got into the play, uh, sorry, I was getting ahead of myself. Before I got into the play, the teacher said to me, I want you for the role, but you got to do something about your lisp. So I went to speech class in school. They sent me to speech class. And you're talking about a lisp that I had since I was a baby. Yes. And here yeah. I, oh, my God. But then I, I got rid of it. And I got the role. And I never sounded like Daffy Duck again. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, when, when you have a lisp, you have to really concentrate on not doing it. I think that's, that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah. But, uh, you know, but there's a whole process. Wow. I mean, they, they start you off with, from my, what my memory was going back, they started you off with certain words and then they give you certain phrases and then they give you like a rhyme. Like, like a rhyme. Now, the only thing you ever see, like the Brady Bunch, when they, they gave it to, that to Cindy, like sweet Cindy sitting on a seashell, whatever. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But they would do stuff like that. Like it was a whole phrase and it used to get frustrating and the lady was really really patient with me because i used to used to get really aggravated that you know it's like dude you know I, why do i you know how do i sound like that nobody else in my family sounded like that so people it was a it was one of those things that i was always embarrassed with um not even thinking about it until the teacher pointed it out to me not the teacher the guy that was putting on the show for the school when he pointed it out to me you know, at once, you know, it's, you, you felt like, uh, you know, everybody's staring at you and you don't know what to do. You're embarrassed, you know, because you felt like it was a handicap all of a sudden. And you kind of understand how when you're completely different, how you how people react to you. And when I when you know, when people tell me, you know, like whether it's race, gender or whatever, you know, sexual orientation, whatever they're different. And then when somebody says, well, you don't know how it feels to be different. Yeah, actually I do. <laughs> like, yeah, I have, I have kind of an idea about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I do, you know, I went through most of my life of school sounding, you know, with a, with a very, and it was, think about it. I'm, I'm from New York, born and raised in Brooklyn. So I got this heavy Brooklyn accent with a lisp and it was just, awful oh man awful. but we bet we we did it you know with with hard work and uh, the training and um the, i'm grateful for the teachers that that helped me um achieve that goal and not sounding to 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 to, to get sounding like the normal like normal people well, i shouldn't say normal people but you know to sound like society 
uh, as opposed to, you know, the small percentage of everybody that has a list. That and, and I, I'm curious, like when you actually were on stage and you were doing your role, did nerves sometimes kick in and you had to really concentrate that much harder to make sure that the lisp didn't come out? Or were you already like, you were already trained and the lisp was already out of your system? Certain words, certain words like you would think, okay, man, that's tough, that's tough, that's tough, you know, and, and you keep practicing, practicing, practicing. And then the hardest words that you practice on, everything else falls into place. So when you are at first, it's just like driving. Um, you know, when you're a kid and you're driving, you're going like 10 miles an hour, but you think you're, you're going 50. You think you're speeding up because you're not used to this big machine moving a little faster than normal. So you're panicking like, oh, let me hit the brakes. You know, so it's like that where you, you, you want to make sure you're sounding perfect. But after a while, I mean, then you can get in your car and you'll have a phone, you'll be driving, you'll be on the phone, you'll have a, you take a bite out of your burger, you drive, you know, you're, you're talking to people and you're not even thinking about, you know, you, you glance down at the speed now, you're not staring at the speed looking ahead and you're still, your mind is already on the road because it's got that little mechanism in your head that it's watching everything, mm -hmm. uh, but you're doing something else but you're still paying attention to the road where having a lisp almost similar, you know, where mm -hmm. in the beginning you're, you're focused on making sure, you know, you're pronouncing everything that you need to, and it doesn't sound the way it used to, but then the more you talk and the more you're, you know, having conversations with people, you don't even realize you had one anymore because it was like, wow, that was so long ago. It just becomes you know? second nature after a while, it, you know, I mean, sometimes I even forget that I had one. It's, it's interesting because I'm wondering because like a lot of people uh, that come, you know, to California from like the South or something like that, they have a very thick Southern accent and they always say that the Southern accent usually comes out whenever they get upset or, or anger or anything like that. Is that this, a similar case for a person that has a speech impediment? Does it like if you get really upset, it comes out out of nowhere? Um, sometimes if I'm actually speaking really, really fast about certain things and whatever, and there's like words and, and all of a sudden you'll say something and you, you, you'll say it, you'll pronounce it, and then you just stop. You're like, whoa, okay, let me go back. And like, <laughs> it, it'll be one word or something. You're like, well, where did that come from? That's pretty funny. And then you laugh at it because it was like, all this time you just said the word funny. Uh, so you go back and, you know, re, re, you know, state what you had to. But when you mentioned the people from Southern accents, the, the one thing that I find amazing is the people with the Southern accents can do British accents really good and vice versa. <laughs> Most people that come over, because that's, you know, that was actually the first yeah, set of colonies correct. that, that, and that became their language. Mm -hmm, that's correct. why if you, if you notice everybody, I don't know if you watch the walking dead, but most of that cast is Brits mm -hmm. and they all have the Southern accents because it's easier for them to do Southern accents with their, with their accent than it is to try to be a New Yorker. Yeah. Doing it's so funny because uh, New Yorkers get super like upset whenever they hear actors uh, try to portray a New York accent accent. And they're like, that's not how we sound like you sound like an idiot. <laughs> like, much. Yeah. Because they, they, uh, they always, and it's funny. It's always on the same three words. It's always on coffee, hey, coffee, you know, and it's always on talk, 
and it's always on. Uh, hey, where you come from? I come from New York. So somebody somebody asked me, uh, well, how do I? How can I sound like you? And I'm like, uh, you know, take your R's and turn them into W's, and there you go. You know, because that's pretty much the quickest way to tell somebody if you want to talk like a New Yorker. You know, I mean, certain things have. Uh, you know, we we throw certain letters on the end of words that don't have letters. You know, and it's like, where did that come from? You know, yeah. like you you want a glass of soda? I don't know why there's an R at the end. Of it. There is soda. It's it's so funny because I mean I I always but you know me from I was born and raised here in California. Whenever I hear a New York accent or a Boston accent, they both sound very similar to one another. Oh, uh, wait, no. Nope, I know, hey, I know, hey. and I and I know, and I know saying that is sacrilegious <laughs> to somebody that's from New York or someone that's from Boston. You're like, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Careful with what you say. Yeah. Take care of your words there. <laughs> that's like people also saying to me uh, when they're like, hey, you know, I'm from New York. I said, oh, yeah, what part? You know, I'm from Jersey. Nah, you're not a New York guy. You can't, <laughs> you can't, just because you're on the other side of the river. You can't dream that you're a New York. You're like even you're like you're like oh you're part of those people. Never mind. Yeah, even the people like like there's New Yorkers that are from like Yonkers or or uh, upstate New York, and I'm a New Yorker. And I'm like, yeah, where are you from? I'm from Yonkers. Yeah, you know you're not really a New Yorker. You're in New York. You know you you do live in New York. See, when you say you're a New Yorker, you're part of the five boroughs you know you're part of the brooklyn queens uh staten island the bronx and and uh, uh um um manhattan you know that's new york city those five boroughs and then when we then you got people from those five boroughs that we don't we eliminate other people like where you're from staten island eh, whatever you're not from new york you know because there's because <laughs> staten island's in the middle of jersey and Brooklyn, you know, it's on oh that little God. island. You know, so we don't really like consider them, you know, but, but they are, they are, they are New York. That is hilarious. That is so funny. Cause it's like, it's just, it's, it's so funny because people are uh, from Orange County. It's the similar thing over here from Orange County. It's like, Oh, I'm from LA. Really? Where do you live? Oh, I live down in Long Beach. You're not from LA. No, you're not. <laughs> you're from Orange <laughs> County. There's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> But I did learn, you know, what's weird is when you live here, anybody that doesn't live in California, they always say, I want to come out to Los Angeles. So I want to come out. But when you're here, you don't, you never call it Los Angeles. It's yeah. LA. Yep. Where it's LA. From, LA. And the other thing that I learned out here, I'm out here um, going on 11 years. And the one thing I learned that you guys do out here that we don't do back East is everything here is not by miles. New York, it's by miles. How far is that? Eh, about, you know, 20 miles away. <laughs> Here, it's hours. Yeah. Uh, something, that's 20 miles, something that's 20 miles away, you're like, how far is that? Eh, about two hours. Yeah. Two hours. <laughs> Where the hell are you driving? We, we, we go, go by traffic, too. So. Yeah, yeah. You guys go by the traffic. Like, from, from Burbank to Sherman Oaks is eight miles. And we okay? usually say it's about, it's about 20 minutes. <laughs> Exactly. You're right about that. Exactly. And it's it's the great and the other thing you guys say, I say you guys, I don't say it because I still I'm still confused about this. Is what do you call the city here? Burbank. No, no, no. No, no. Where the big buildings are. What do you guys call it? Oh, downtown. Okay. Where does that end and where does midtown and uptown begin? Oh Jesus. We, we <laughs> 
one thing that we just collectively have it all right there in downtown LA. Everything's downtown, called LA. downtown. Yeah, downtown, called downtown. Yeah, downtown Burbank, downtown LA, downtown. Everything. Yeah, everything. Yep, everything. you're right about but that. No, but where where all where the Staples Center, where everything is, that's downtown. That's downtown. Yeah, that's downtown LA. Right. Yeah. So if you say, "Hey, when you finish the Staples Center, you know, meet me uptown." There is no uptown. There Nobody knows uptown. what that is. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny because like we really don't use that term at all. No, nope. there's no midtown. There's no everything is downtown. <laughs> yep. So when I first came out here, somebody That's said funny. to me, uh, um, the guy said, "Oh, it's going to be downtown." I said, "All right." I said, uh, "Where? Where?" I said, "Where does where does downtown end?" And like we we can make a we can meet like midtown. And he's like, "What do you mean, like mid city?" He, he looked and at he, said, look, he looked at you like you're crazy. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he looked at me, tilted his head like if he was a golden retriever, and I did a high pitched noise, <laughs> you know, like a whistle sound. He's like, "What?" what? So I said, Let's, "I'll meet you at Midtown." He goes, "You mean Mid City?" I'm like, "Where's that?" He goes, "You know, Wilshire." And I said, "No, that's not where." I'm, but uh, <laughs> where we can meet over by Sunset and where Sunset begins, that's downtown. But where does Midtown begin? What are you talking about? I'm like, look, if you ask me, I'm from New York. You meet me in New York and you say, I'll meet you at Midtown. I'm going to meet you in Midtown. Midtown's going to be anywhere between lower 30s to mid 50s, oh 60s. Then it becomes uptown. And then you got downtown. Downtown is past, you know, it is. That's you have hilarious. Areas. That yeah, that's and true. That's know. very true. That's very true. Yeah, we we we're just and if you go ahead and you say anything like that, we're just gonna take you literally. We're gonna be yeah. like like midtown. What you mean the middle of the city? Like the middle of Los Angeles? Like who yeah. are you talking about? It, it is. I mean, you down. I mean, you uptown. Where Burbank? Yeah. <laughs> You mean Hollywood? Hollywood? What's going on? Yeah, that's totally true. We, we like that's. I guess that's how we know that you're not from LA. When when you start saying things like that, you're like, you're not from here, are you? You're you're really not from here. I mean, no. So there's the funny part. Okay, you got West Hollywood, right? Yep. You got East Hollywood. Correct. You got North Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You got Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Where's South Hollywood? Yeah, that that's that 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 does not exist. <laughs> it does not. That's right. <laughs> it is. It, you know, these are the things. If anything, I, South Hollywood would probably be considered Hollywood. I think that's what we would mostly consider. South Hollywood would be Hollywood. Because, okay. You know, I I don't because there is no South Hollywood, which which would be interesting if somebody actually came up with that. But yeah, we 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 have a few inconsistencies with our city. <laughs> This is the only city I ever been to where your city is not even near any sort of water trading. Like the local, like with ships and ports, that's Long Beach. Uh-huh. So why would they, to me, it was like, you know, when you back East, you think about the wild West and how everything was, uh, um, you know, when you watch these old Western movies, this is probably how, Los Angeles got created. There were little tiny towns mm-hmm. and they just built up and became, because look, you got, you got skyscrapers in or, or tall buildings, whatever you guys want to call it in century city. You got skyscrapers in, uh, um, in, in mid city, you got skyscrapers down in, uh, um, uh, what, what's the area? Westwood, uh, Westwood area, Westwood and yep. downtown. 
mm-hmm. New York, Century City area. We don't have that. It's all in one spot, Manhattan, and then you might have a few big buildings like that in Brooklyn, which is right downtown Brooklyn, right across the river. Where if you leave Manhattan or you walk over the Brooklyn Bridge, you're in downtown Brooklyn. You'll have some skyscrapers there because at one point somebody thought it would be, hey, we can you know build out here and it'll be cheaper to live here than it is in Manhattan. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's not exactly that's not exactly the way it went, was it? <laughs> no, no, no. Wrong. <laughs> well, man, I mean, I, I'm glad that, uh, I mean, I, I got to ask you, I mean, how, okay, before we get into how you got here to Los Angeles, we, we kind of got off traffic here, <laughs> which is really cool. I, I, like, I like how you notice those, those small little intricacies of, of between Los Angeles and, and New York. Um, but I was wondering, so you got, like, you did plays in high school. You were obviously the acting bug hit you when you were in high school. What happened after high school? How how did you continue on? Like, or or did you were you forced by your parents to you know go to college or get a job or what? What was the deal after high school? I've uh, I made my first movie in high school, mm-hmm. um, and I had all these people coming up to me with this with these uh, this new this film festival and say, "Hey, you should submit your movie." I, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what a film festival was. I I, I never heard of that. Mm-hmm. So about 20 different people showed me the same newspaper clipping. So I said, finally, all right, you know what, let's try it. So I submitted it. And there was uh, when I submitted it, I asked the guy, you know, you know, how many people he's like with you, you know, you're over a thousand submissions. I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Didn't think nothing of it. Ended up winning. Uh, Won my first award at 17 years old. And I got the, you know, the bug in me. So I um, won my first award and prize was a check. And uh, so I said, hmm, let me see how I can put this movie in video stores. So I went around to local video stores and I sold them my movie. And one guy said to me, let me ask you something. We don't normally do that. We go to a distributor. And mm-hmm. I said, yeah, I don't know what that means. So he <laughs> said, uh, he said, if you saw another movie in here from another person from the neighborhood, would you rent it? And I said, yeah. He said, why? I said, I'd be curious. He says, I'll take four copies. Nice. So you sold them. Then, yeah. And then there was a, uh, then there was a lot of, there was newspaper clippings that people wrote about me. And then there was this big uh, New York daily news article about me called no New York news, Newsday, which is a big paper. And it was a big spread, and it called me the Spielberg of Franklin K. Lane High School. Nice. So I went to school, and everybody's like making fun of me, hey, Spielberg, or whatever. But, you know, some people asked me for my autograph, and I signed newspapers. I mean, it was weird, but being considered, I mean, to me, the two greatest filmmakers of all time is Spielberg and Alfred Hitchcock. And for someone to say, hey, you're you're just like them or you're they're calling me or comparing me. I mean, I'm, I can't even fill those boots that they both wear, but to be in the same room or same sentence, I'll take it. You know, I, I, I have to, I have to tell you, uh, and this is, this is a story I tell a lot of people. Um, 
a few years ago, I don't know if you're familiar with uh with the person with this person uh Sidney Scheinberg. He's the isn't he the one that found Spielberg? Yes, correct. I uh had an opportunity to sit down and chat with him a few years oh ago. Oh my gosh. Wow. And uh it was a huge honor. Huge honor to speak to him because I was trying to pitch him one of my scripts. And uh right before he walked me to the door, and I'll never forget it to this day, to this very day, I'll never forget his words. He walked very tall man, too. He's like over six feet tall. He's a very tall man. He walks me to his door after having a meeting with me, and he looks me straight in the eye and he says, You may very well be the next Steven Spielberg. I just wow. hope I'm alive long enough to see it happen. Wow, God bless you. When he told me that, I was on cloud nine. And uh, yeah. he, passed, he actually passed away last year. Very sad huh. to hear that he passed away. Um, but to hear those words from the man that found Steven Spielberg, that was huge. Oh, that was, my God. That was yeah. like the biggest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. So it, it's, I, I know what you, what you mean. You know, when, when you say that there's no way anybody could fill in those shoes. Hitchcock's, Spielberg's, Ron Howard's, I mean, like these are these are all incredible directors. Martin Scorsese. Yeah. All no, of these I, men I, are incredible directors. Guys, right. All those guys are influenced me uh in, in many ways. Like Ron Howard. I mean, look, if I was doing the other jobs that I used to do, I probably would have never had the opportunity to be where I am. Um at one point I was on a plane standing there waiting to board and who was standing in front of me was Ron Howard. You know, oh, just wow, sitting there. That's awesome. And, you, know, you know, and I, I, I wanted to be that guy who went up to him and talked to him, but I didn't want to be that guy, you know, because, but, but at one time he looked over and I gave him a wink. He gave me a nod because we, not, I acknowledged who he was without making everybody make him feel uncomfortable. And then the other cool thing is I do a lot of work with some people that have um, um, bungalows on Universal. Mm-hmm. and couple you know and the, the people i do business with it's two it's almost three bungalows away from hitchcock's oh wow so every time where hitchcock used to go so it's like every time i'm there i always walk over now i think uh de laurentis runs the hitchcock bungalow now uh but but it's just just going there it's like i got a few pictures of me standing because it's like i've been in the same parking lot as as uh you know this guy uh you know this guy touched you know th- th- this area and that doesn't sound like you know how chicks used to be with the beatles but you know you think about it, it's like this guy was here he was yeah. standing right yeah. in the spot oh no i totally and, I, I totally get what you're saying totally and get then what you're out of all his movies psycho one of my favorite movies of all uh-huh. time Classic. there's a there's a a bmw dealership on um What's the what is it? Uh, Lancashire, um, right before um, it's after I think it I think uh, Riverside. It's on the other side of Riverside. It's on Lancashire. There's a BMW dealership off to the side. Mm-hmm. That Man, is the one location in Psycho, the original Psycho, where Janet Lee comes in and pulls, parks a car, and sells, trades her car out. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I, I just want to go in that. And I'm sure they got pictures up on the wall of Hitchcock or maybe the guys that own it now have no idea that, you know, Hitchcock was in this spot directing this scenes 
you know, from this in this in this location. Just like back in Queens, New York, where I'm from, there was this Wendy's, and they converted the Wendy's for like two weeks to a place called McDowell's. Now, a lot of people didn't know what the hell's going on. Oh, McDowell's, what is that? Why are they making a McDowell's? It's down the block from a McDonald's. No, that's where they, they shot coming to America. So <laughs> it's funny. It's like I, I thought it sounded familiar. Movie. I was like, why does that sound familiar? Yeah. I was like, that's why. And then I, I've been in that. I've been in that Wendy's over and over and over. And, and even after they shot coming to America, I've been to that Wendy's. And they got pictures up of Louis Anderson, Eddie Murphy, Arsenio Hall. But the one guy they don't have up that was one of his first roles is Samuel Jackson because he's huh. the guy that robs he robs the that that that's that's store. right that's right that's right I remember that yeah that's right yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right uh, and, and it's it's almost crazy because it's almost like I mean let's not even go that far here in Burbank where the Toys R Us and the Burger King are that's that's where they filmed one of the scenes from Back to the Future, the very that's first right. the very first scene of Back to the Future, where you know he he skateboards off. Every time I see that scene, I'm like, there there it is. There's the Burger King and the Toys R Us right there. <laughs> like you know, I, I that's one of my favorite movies of all time. Mine too. It yes, was, it was it was literally on. It's it, they're playing the hell out of it now. I think it's on. That's Netflix on Netflix. Or, yeah, it's on Netflix or, right now. Yeah, but I just realized. Why? Because they show you that location twice in the movie. When mm -hmm. he goes back in the 50s and Doc Brown, he has uh, the massive house, which is in Pasadena. Uh -huh. And then when he's telling him about who's the president is, Doc Brown runs out and he runs into his shed. And he's like, who's going to be president next? You know, uh -huh. goes, Jerry you remember that? Yeah, Jerry, Jerry Lewis. I bet, right. I bet uh, Gerald Ford is the, is the secretary of state or something like that. <laughs> But the cool thing is why it's so important, and a lot of people don't get it, is at the time, if you think about it, in the 50s, if you watch, when you watch it again, when Marty walks into that place and he walks around the whole spot before he starts playing with the guitar, mm -hmm. you see Doc Brown's bed in there. He's got mm -hmm. his bedroom. He's got everything. Okay? So what, I guess he, what they were trying to say is he's, he never had anything – uh, you know, he lost all his money that he ended he up put, selling his property to or he put it, Burger or he put, King. Or he put his, or he put all his money on his invention, and with that money that he sold, like you said, he sold to Burger King. You know, they, they that put was Burger his property. Yeah, that was his property. Right, because we, when he comes out in the beginning, that's supposed that's supposed to be the shed mm -hmm. where where he was at, and then he right. you see him right. So I was like, oh my god, that's so so underlying genius you know because you don't really pick that up and you're like oh that's interesting because of the size you know? of it yes and it's so cool like shit like that when i'm watching movies and oh all no it's stuff. awesome it's another it's another level than just watching a film and seeing oh that's a cool story like and, you get deeper into it and it's so funny because up until recently i had just realized that actually sid scheinberg also executive produced that movie too yeah, I had just, yeah. I just figured that out just, uh, you know, not too long ago. I was like, oh, wow, Sid Scheinberg executive produced one of my favorite movies. That's awesome. You know? So, I mean, it's, it's incredible. And I must have seen that whole trilogy over and over and oh, over. Yeah. But I picked and then the other night I picked out the other spot, whereas I think it's been part two when he's doing uh, when he's doing the weather thing and he's going to get him back again to go back to the 50s. There's a guy riding a bicycle that goes right, right past him. That's Doc Brown also. 
That's Doc funny. Brown, Doc Brown rides a bicycle past himself. Oh, yeah. Because they, they show you that later. And it's like, wait a minute. I, I never picked that up. Yeah. All the yeah. times that I watched it, I was like, that is so genius, so subtle. Amazing. No, they the, the things that they do, it's like you you have to like always be paying attention and like 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 you, you know, you're a director, you pick on subtleties like that. You know, me, like there's certain things about movies as well that I pick up on very quickly. Or sometimes I actually even know the ending before it happens because I'm like, yeah, because I probably would have written it this way too. <laughs> you know, like you yeah, watch it, like, I get frustrated. I get yeah. frustrated with that. I was yeah, like, damn it. <laughs> Why did he go that way? <laughs> me too. I was like, wow, I hate it when I'm right. You know, <laughs> like I just ruined the movie for me. So. Or, 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 you're, or you're just stop saying things. And, you know, the next thing you know, like the, <laughs> the guy's saying the same thing. And it's like, like my friend would say, how do you know he was going to say that? I was like, that's lazy writing right there. Cause just, <laughs> that's, you know, he's going to say something like that. Just say something different. I mean, you know? and, and, and speaking of, speaking of lazy writing, as, as, a, as a director, as a writer, I mean, what do you think of movies that are out nowadays that are like, for example, these reboots that are going on? In my opinion, I think that's also the industry, A, not giving up and coming, you know, writers a chance and B, they're running out of material. So they're rebooting the same thing over and over again. I I mean, in my opinion, that's very frustrating to me. I don't know how you feel about that sometimes. I felt that way um, for many years. But then I said, okay, so there's two ways to look at it. You can reboot the same shit. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm... No, no, no. You can reboot the same stuff. What worked 30 years ago may not work again now. Mm -hmm. But I understand why they want to reboot things because tell it to a different way, tell it to a new audience. Uh, I mean, look how many times they rebooted A Star is Born. And every time... It, it had the Academy Award curse. Everybody was nominated. The song was nominated. Nobody ever wins, but the song wins. Mm-hmm. And it happened three out of four times, the song won every year. Um, but what I was just telling somebody when they asked me about uh, all these franchises, the Friday the 13th, the Elm Street, the Texas Chainsaw, like they reboot it. And I'm like, it doesn't work. You can't reboot those. Yeah. Because the fans... tired of seeing the origin story Mm -hmm. give me you want to reboot it tell me a new story with it you want to put a new freddy in there give me a new storyline but don't tell me how it began again don't get me wrong i actually enjoyed the rob zombie reboot of halloween i actually liked that one that one wasn't too bad um i i liked a little bit of it uh because you know I, i mean i got friends that are in it uh i i don't like I don't like that you made him more human in a way because that's what made Michael Myers scary. Yeah, that he was, was inhuman. Was, you had no idea what he was. Um, I didn't like that it was half sequel, a half prequel, a half remake. Mm-hmm. I hated, I absolutely hated the second one because I, I, I didn't, you know, I mean, it was, it was so bizarre. And I'm sure if I got to watch it 15 more times to really get it, but it's so bizarre with the unicorn and his mask being ripped and the long ZZ top beard. I just, it just, it just bothered me. Certain things you're not supposed to see like behind it. Like you're supposed to Michael keep a Myers, mystery too. Right. Michael Myers, even when Spider-Man, I, I forgot which Spider-Man it was that his mask ripped halfway. And they did that with one of the Batman movies. And, and it's like, yeah. don't do that. 
Yeah, that's what. You know? Yeah, when they did. Uh, when they did um, Spider Man, I think it was Spider Man three when he went up against um, Venom. Yeah, you know, don't don't you know? We don't want to see that. You know, the audience don't. You know, you want to make look. Why do you think Halloween, the newest one, was really successful? Because we didn't tell me the same story. It continued. Yeah, that one. They was got all the cast back together, and it continued. And that's why it made a boatload of money. And but there's still an inconsistency because when we saw Halloween H two O, Jamie Lee Curtis died in that one. So for them to come back and bring her back in this one, that was a little bit inconsistency right there. That's 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 an inconsistency. It kind of bothered me a little bit, to be honest. Well, you know, there's three different timelines um, that there's okay. So the original Halloween, Halloween two. Um, then it would be it would be H2O mm-hmm. and Resurrection. That's one timeline. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then you got another timeline that went from Halloween 1 and 2 to Halloween 4, 5, and 6. That's a different timeline. Mm. That's a different kind of story because it was kind of weird. They had Jamie Lee Curtis dead in that storyline. And they had Danielle Harris that was supposed to be the daughter. Mm-hmm. Um, then you, then, then with the newest one, they said, forget about everything. Don't even look at those. They have nothing to do with this timeline. This timeline is the original movie, 1978 and this movie. We're, t- we're doing something completely new and something completely different. Right. With the, the, the one that came out last year. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the one, the original movie, not even, don't even watch Halloween two, the one in the, in, in the hospital has nothing mm-hmm. to do with it. So after they shoot him and he falls off the balcony and he disappeared, see, he never disappeared. So he fell off the balcony. They arrested him. He's in, he's been in prison. He comes out. That's what, that's what, that's what they were, that's what they were trying to do. Okay. Yeah. So that makes, that makes a little sense. Yeah. Because it was driving me nuts. I was like, dude, there's just, this is inconsistency. driving me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and now they got, they got two new ones. They got two new ones that they finished shooting. Uh, one's coming out this year, supposed to be October, but I guess with the corona, they might have pushed it. Mm-hmm. And the other one comes out next year. And they both have Jamie Lee Curtis in it. And that continues and that finishes up the storyline, supposedly, of the the one that they just started up again. Interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, going back to going back to your movies, I mean, you know, how did you end up going coming from New York to Los Angeles? I did a movie called uh um I did one of these movies in in North Carolina. Uh, what are, oh, wait, hang on. I, I I shot a movie in New York and one of my investors said, "Hey, do you want to do you want to cut the film out in Los Angeles?" Cuz I was just out in Los Angeles doing a reality show. Uh, spec pilot for the same guy mm-hmm. and I said sure you know um, and he's like you know I'll take care of uh, expenses for the first year I was like I was hesitant to do it I, I didn't know whether I should have did it or not and my brother said to me hey you can always go back home if you don't like it mm-hmm. and when I heard those words everything was better you know so I, I came out to California I packed up my, my, my U-Haul, grabbed my dog, drove cross country, and then I never I haven't left, you know, knock on wood. I I've been uh I finished the project. I went back to the East Coast to shoot a movie in Pennsylvania. 
came mm-hmm. back here. And then I went back to uh, North Carolina to shoot two other movies. Uh, one was Checkpoint. One was the Rack Pack. Came back out here, shot some stuff here. Then uh, shot Nations Fire here and Florida. So it's like I've been, I'm traveling, but, you know, L.A. is, is, is home. Is home now. I mean, yeah. Well, that's it. That's, that's really cool. So, I mean, obviously, you're very well known in the independent circuit. That's, that's for sure. Um, is that where you want to remain? Or are you trying to, you know, like many others, uh, start off an independent and then break your way through to mainstream? Uh, um, I love my independent roots. I think uh, it's where I started. It's where I am. Um, of course, I would love to do studio movies as well, but I'm also, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a storyteller. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, when, when I'm standing up in the pearly gates and, and they ask me, you know, did I have any regrets? I want to say no, because I got to do what I really wanted to do. And I, I would love, no matter if it's independent films or if it's regular, you know, studio movies, that some filmmaker in school is being taught my work and asking them, you know, what do you think of the way we do Hitchcock and Spielberg and Scorsese and De Palma and, and Austin Wells and, you know, uh, everybody out there, how in film school, you know, you always Tarantino, you're breaking down. What do you think he was trying to say in this scene? And, you know, Kubik, what do you think he was trying to say in it? What do you think about Churchill in this? What was he saying? You know, in all his films, what was he doing? What, you know, that's what I want. Because, you know, a lot of my movies, most of my films, I would say 90% of it, there's layers upon layers. And there's a, there's a, a lot of the movies continue characters and storylines from other films. They're not sequels. It's just my universe. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I've been doing that since uh, when I first started making my first movie. You know, I, I, I threw stuff in there from when I made movies as a kid. So any it's kind of my way of telling the audience that's been with me since day one that saw me from going from a high school filmmaker to where I am today. It's kind of my way of saying, I don't forget my roots. Remember these movies? I, I still remember those movies. And that's always important. That's actually always important to have right there, those types of roots. Um, but the thing is that your movies, they're not exactly completely independent because you have several of them on both Amazon Prime and on Netflix. So, yeah. I mean, technically, yes, you've done independent movies, but, I mean, you have a lot of them on mainstream now, so it almost seems like they're starting to cross over. Um, I'm forever humbled and grateful. Uh I, I am grateful that every project that I've done has found distribution. Um, I have four coming out that we, we did within the, uh, we did a movie called Big Freakin' Rat, The Amityville Harvest, The Step Daddy, and uh, I think they changed the title back to Business Christmas. Those four movies are already done and they're waiting for uh, distribution. I mean, not just, they're waiting for its release date. They all got distribution. Mm-hmm. And then I got, uh, you know, I just, I'm, go, I'm gearing up to do uh, three more lined up. I'm grateful. I'm humbled that I'm, I'm doing what I love to do. And I'm telling stories for people to enjoy. 
Now, the other thing that I want to tell anybody that, you know, other filmmakers out there, I mean, there might be a lot of people that love my work and there's a lot of people that hate my work. And, and sometimes the people, uh, you know, you got to understand I'm, I'm a true believer and experienced one to tell you that not everything is the director's fault. So what I mean by that is the director will write, you know, you might write a great script, you might have a great movie and you might you cut a great film, but when you're dealing with other people, other investors, uh, you know, other hands in the cookie jar, so to speak, that cut may not be the final cut may not be what the director wanted, but it might've been a, 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 a shirt and tie person that did it or the investor that wanted it a certain way. Mm-hmm. So when you watch a movie and you're watching it and you're like, ah, this director sucks. It may not be the director. You know, I, I can tell you from, from, from experience, there's a few projects of mine that I'll be like, ah, oh, I wish they put out that other version. I but, mean, at the end of the day, the director always works for somebody anyway. They got hired and they work for somebody. True. At the end of the day, and here's the other thing. Ready? Nobody ever remembers the producer or the investors. They always remember, always remember the, director. the director. Yep, very so true. So if the movie's if the movie's great, you're only as great as your the director is only as great as his last film. He mm-hmm. might have even an actor. An actor is only as good as their last movie. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean. Nicholas Cage, guy puts out a movie every other week, technically, it feels yep. like. Yep. But he's such a great actor, but this is still the same Academy Award winning actor. This guy is a brilliant actor, but decided that he wanted to do a different route. Eric Robbins. Yes, we see him. Uh, I got the actually privilege to act alongside of him in two different movies. Uh, but I have to say that as much as people are like, oh, Eric Roberts puts out all this junk and he does all these, does a movie a day or whatever. Got to understand, this is the same Eric Roberts that's been in classic films and he's been in two of the billion dollar films, Expendables and Batman in the mm-hmm. same year. Mm-hmm. So sometimes actors or directors will do things to either pay bills or if you're not getting the studio money anymore, let's just say, I'm, 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 you know, whether it's uh, Eric Roberts or Nicolas Cage, if you're not getting the big, Steven Seagal, if you're not getting the big studio money anymore per film, you still got to, they have some sort of livelihood that they have to still maintain. So they'll do like 50 movies a year because they need to make their, their, their quota for how they live. So I don't, you know, being in the business, looking at other people, I don't judge them anymore. When I wasn't and I was watching, oh, man, this guy puts out a movie every week, but not realizing when you get your turn and you're in the the system and then you make a movie and it's like, you know, an investor was like, no, you know what? I, I want to change it this way. Well, why do you want to change it that way? Because I, it's my money, but you're not creative. You're not really a creative guy. That's why you hire the director. That's why you hire all these creative people to make a movie for you to make money. But if you're going to block them at the past because you got an ego that you probably had since you're a kid and wanted to be a a filmmaker, but you're a frustrated filmmaker because you may suck, but you got a lot of money and you're putting it in and you're going to try to tell stories through other filmmakers and then your movies come short of a two-star rating out of five, you only got, you know, it's you to blame. But as the filmmaker, 
we have to walk around with people coming up to us saying, why would you do that movie? Well, you know, the, the other version was much better. The other version that you never got to see. That's true. That's true. And I, I mean, but I, I'm curious, does anybody do it for the love of the craft anymore? Any of these actors do it for the love of the craft? Or is it specifically because they have to like, you know, maintain a certain livelihood and, you know, and things like that. I mean, is there any of them that do it for the love of the craft itself? Some of them, a, a lot of them uh, will do, uh, a lot of them will do it because they, they, they feel it um, or they want to, they still want to do it. And then a lot of them just, I've got, I've gave scripts to people that want to work with me and then won't even read the full script. They'll just look for their character. <laughs> and then how do you, and a lot of actors do that. Yeah, when an actor I actually comes do that. Back, I do that yeah, sometimes. But but but, um, but when an actor comes back, I mean, I, I'm I'm whatever the process is for you guys is great. But when you have you have to read the script at least. Oh once. no, definitely. I mean, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm I'm sorry to cut you off, but I do that sometimes. But I only do that at the beginning, just so I could re I could realize who this character is. But right. then after I realize who it is, who he is, then I read. I, I'm backwards. Then right. I read the entire script to see where the story is headed. So that way I'm like, okay, this is who this character is, but I want to go ahead and enhance his attitude, his emotion, you know, see Great. where he wants to go with this, you know? I mean, because of the, of how the story around him is unfolding for that. Great. You have, but you have a process. Some actors right. don't do that. They'll, they'll skim to see their role, how big it is, how small it is. And then they'll tell you eh, yes or no on that. Some some will take it, and then when they're on your set, they're actually getting more into it mm -hmm. and happy that they did it. Some are just miserable that they bark at um, they'll bark at the gaffers, they'll bark at everybody mm, because no, they're just so miserable because at one time their star was brighter. Uh, and now they're doing small indie films and they're not doing studio movies no more. So they're miserable. See, what I would say, what I, what I kind of would do is I would tell that actor, you know, if they came up to me, well, I'm going to say, listen, obviously, if you're not happy, you don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. Just quit. Be right. frustrated. Don't, don't do it. I've done conventions, Xander, where I'm signing autographs for people that I, I – I'm, I'm grateful. I'm like, wait, you want my autograph? And then across from me is a big, massive celebrity that worked with every director, Spielberg and all, and he's got his head down on his table because he doesn't want to be there. But nobody told you to take the gig. You know, you don't have to take the gig, but if you need the gig and you need the money, guess what? These are the people that's paying you. Smile, shake their hand tell them a story or two mm -hmm. and then you got two two three days to do the horse and pony show then you can go back to your little miserable world and be frustrated at the world and talk to your buddies at the bar about the old days and, and you know it's it's so true because i have one of my one of my good friends actually i've known him for a while now um he played the little brother on the show growing pains i've had him on the show on my show many times his name's jeremy miller um okay. he played little ben siever on growing pains he, you know, obviously he hasn't been in, in many um, films in a very long time, but, and it, it, he's, he call, gets called up to conventions and everything, and he looks forward to these conventions every single time. 
And it doesn't matter that he, you know, he hasn't been seen in anything in a long time or he's been seen in little independent things here and there. He still always is humble and he's always happy when when people recognize him, when people ask for his autograph. He loves it. He loves it because I've worked like, with him. I'd like that guy. I mean, send him my info. <laughs> I will. I will. Most definitely. Yeah. No, he's, a, he's an awesome. He's an awesome guy. You would definitely uh, enjoy uh, working with a person like that. Because he's a hard worker and he'll 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 make things happen. Let me tell you, he's a, he's an awesome actor. But yeah, I mean, uh, right now it's funny. Right now, uh, and I hate to shift gears. He's actually in a, on a on a YouTube show that they created for the current crisis right now called the Quarantine Bunch, and okay. it's him. It's uh, a few other actors as well that that uh, have been you know that were child actors and stuff like that, and they all get together. And they basically talk about different things. It's, it's a really funny YouTube show that they have going on right now. I'll um, check it out. I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you the link over your way, man. But you, you'd love it. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, and, um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, inc- it's crazy because it's like no matter how much, how much time has pa- gone by, he still remains to be the same humble person. He still is very grateful for every, all, the, all his experiences that he had. I mean, you know, he's also he's also a chef, you know. So I mean, he you know he also he also does you know uh, events, you know, celebrity uh, chef events, things like that. And he's always happy to do it. He's always happy to do it. You know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter to him because it's it's what he loves to do. He loves to he loves to be there for fans. That's that's you know a lot. Um... I don't know the other actor's name, but I know he was the older brother in E.T. Kirk, oh, oh, yeah. And he plays, uh, I think he's a, from what I heard, somebody said that he's a bank manager in Burbank. Oh, wow. He runs a, he runs a bank. And, you know, I mean, what's great, I mean, to me, E.T. is one of my favorite movies. Oh, I yeah. Still cr- I still oh, cry. Oh, me too, me too. On, on the <laughs> same scene. But I, I got to... I got to meet and work with two people out of that movie. I mean, I got to work with C. Thomas Howell. Um, and we had, you know, he, he's one of my friends. I, 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 you know, I'm privileged to give him a call and talk to him, uh, you know. And uh, I got to interview when I had my radio show a few years back, um, Sean Fry. Um, oh, wow. Who, uh, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was one of the, the older brother's uh, uh, friends. Mm-hmm. And Sean, you know, just hearing Sean's version of uh, what they used to do on set and Tommy Howell's version, you know, of how Spielberg was with them. And, and it's just, you know, you, 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 you're like, wow, I just wish I was there. You oh, know? yeah. And, and, I, dude, you know. trust me. I know. <laughs> like listening to stories uh, when I was speaking to Sid Scheinberg was just i i just could sit there and listen to him for like hours of of how much he was paying steven spielberg at the time you know the process just everything just everything listen to these stories were just amazing to me you know and and it's just it's it's something that it's something that you know you just you just love listening to yeah yeah i mean um i used to go uh I, i haven't done it in a good minute but I used to go to have breakfast and, and a couple times, uh, no, it was lunch, mainly lunch, with Bruce Dern after we shot Nation's Fire. And I would sit there with him. We'd go to, uh, we'd go to a diner, uh, one of the delis in, in uh, Studio City. And we'll sit there and he'll, I'll, he'll be just talking for two hours about old Hollywood. 
mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there listening to him like like uh, like if I was in a uh, history class mm-hmm. listening to every word he's saying and he said to one of the things he he got a chance to work with Hitchcock on oh, Hitchcock's wow. last movie called oh, wow. Family Plot and he said the one thing that amazed him was and somebody said that Hitchcock used to do this on every one of his movies Hitchcock would get up at the end of his shoot at the end of the day and he would walk in the middle of the stage and he would thank everybody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but heard, not just thank everybody. He would call out everybody's name. Mm-hmm. He remembered everybody's name, mm-hmm. every gaffer, every grip, every best boy, every PA. He would tell them, thank you. And just say their name and all. And, and people just, loved him because of that it's respect it's respect yeah. because it doesn't matter because at the end of the day we all put our pants on one leg at a time that's right that's that's, right. that's that's what it boils down to nobody's better than anybody else we're all made of skin and bone blood you know everything we all die the same we all live that we all we all are born the same so you know for somebody to think that they're better than the other that 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 completely angers me actually to be honest with you that angers me and annoys me and it makes me feel bad for that person too at the same right. time weird right you know i have all these like negative emotions but it's like yeah but i also feel bad for him because they're that right. stupid well <laughs> I, I live by i live by um a quote that jackie gleason states be nice to the people going up because mm-hmm. you're going to see the same people coming back down. Man, you read my mind because that was the same quote. I was actually going to say it because when you're talking about how uh, that actor had his head down and everything, I was actually going to use that same quote. I didn't know it was Jackie Gleason. I used it because Ric Flair, WWE wrestler Ric Flair used that same quote. Yeah, and I Jackie heard it from Gleason. him. Yeah. So Jackie Gleason was the one that originated that quote. Okay. Yeah, because he's like, I, I always use that quote every single time. Be careful yep. you cheat people on your way up because you're going to be seeing them when you fall back down. That's right. So, so it's, you know, and I, and I, and I follow that because even, cause I was a, you know, I was a Hollywood club promoter for over 10 years. And every time I went to the club right before we opened doors, I would say hello to every single bus boy, every single bathroom attendant, bartenders, security, everybody. And let me tell you, every time I came to that club, it was like, I was like royalty went into that club because that's how they treated me because that's how I treated them. Right. I treated them just with the same amount of respect because I always said, without any of you, this club would not be here. That's right. You know, without the bus boys, without the bartenders, security, everybody, they all make that happen just like in film. Every single person that's involved on a film shoot is are the ones that make it happen together. That's right. I've done, um, at one point, my other life, I was a operations manager in pharmaceutical companies. Uh, I've done operations management. I was a director in pharmaceutical companies. I was a quality assurance supervisor. And everybody I ever um, gave orders to, I always started with, hey, let's just say you're working for me. Xander, can you do me a favor? Can you move that pallet? of such and such over over there to the left thank you very much uh, oh listen have a great day xander and i'll walk over hey can you do me a favor i never said you uh come here mm-hmm. uh i need you to do this so when you always said my boss said that to me once he looked at me and says he goes you're so polite to your people i'm like 
That's why when I ask them if they want to, if they want to work an extra hour, if they want to come in early, if they want to work uh, during a holiday to make money, they're going to work hard for me because mm-hmm. I treat them right. It's all about please and thank yous. It's the please and thank yous and the respect. And mm-hmm. I, I was 29 years old and 150 people reported to me who were in their late 40s, 50s, and 60s. There might have been people in their 30s. So here is a guy who's 29 years old and has all these people, about 150 people working for me. And I treated everybody with respect. And, 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 you know, I mean, there was times where you had to be stern with people, of course, because that comes with the job. Of course. But here's the other thing with that. You praise in public and scold in private. Private. Correct. Yep. That is very I, much correct. And I do that on my sets. Mm-hmm. I never really scold anybody. I'll take them to the side and have a conversation with mm-hmm. them, and, you know, but I never will embarrass anybody in, in, in front of anybody. I treat all my employees my workers my my co my colleagues my partners my actors all with the same respect that i would want if i walked on the set i'm the same way i'm the same way i completely agree with you i completely agree with you i've i've had my uh, moments where i've been in a manager position as well i have Uh never yelled at anybody in public ever i have never scolded anybody either i i'm always it's all about professionalism because right. this is this is the type of impression you want to leave on anybody coming in or leaving for that matter. Because, right. you know, I mean, they're going to want to work with you again, you know, if you're cool with them. But if you're not, they're not going to want to work with you ever again. And believe me, they will tell other people about that. Oh, so, of course. I mean, of especially course. in the entertainment industry, it's a small town. I mean, as, as ironic as it is, it's a very small town and word gets out very quickly. It's a so, big industry, small town. Correct. You know, so people, it's, it's, you always have to be careful how you treat everybody because they right. won't know. I, I always tell, I tell people that uh, when, I, when I tell, when I go back home and I'm talking to people about uh, Hollywood and everything, and I say it's a small town, they're like, what does that mean? I'm like, you know, you know how I can break it down quick for someone? It's like when you're in junior high school or elementary school and you drive past the high school that you're going to go to. When, you, when you're a kid and you see that in high school you're going to go to and you're like, oh, my God, those people are so big. They're, they're so big. I mean, that's a big school. I'm scared. You know, you get a little scared. You get a little intimidated. But mm-hmm. once you're in that high school, you know, every, you know, when you're a freshman going in, you're still a little worried. You don't know what to expect. You don't know who people are. Mm-hmm. But by the time you're a junior and senior, by the time you're a senior, everybody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Everybody and you know who everybody is, the right people, you know, the right teachers, the right things, and then you're watching the next group come in. So I always tell people it's like high school. It's true. When you, when you see when you, the industry is like high school. You go up, uh, you get a little you know, you're intimidated by it when you first get to it, but when you're in it, everything's fine. But you'll still have you'll still have people like they still act in high school. You'll come across. You'll be like, really? Are we still, are yeah, still, you know, it's true. It's true because, and like high school, you also have your clicks. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Even my dog just agreed. With me. <laughs> I heard him in the background. <laughs> he said, "You even have your clicks," and he goes, "Woo!" <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I thought that was a roommate of yours or whatever <laughs> agreeing no. with me. <laughs> no, but my, my, I got a, my, my, my dog's been with me. Um, he's, he's up there. He's an old man now, but he's been, I, he's, uh, he's my Rhodesian Ridgeback. I had him since he was four weeks old. Um, uh, he came with me. He went with me from New York to North Carolina, back to New York, cross country out here. Nice, nice, yeah. dude. That's beautiful. I, I have a little Maltese Shih Tzu and a little cat too, so I love nice. them both. They're both my, they're both my fur babies. But um, so, quick question: What are your favorite? What what's your favorite uh, movies that you like to shoot? Like your favorite genre? Hmm. Okay, so uh, I like thrillers, uh, whether they're action thrillers or horror thrillers. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, I really love doing those, but I'm also, as I tell people, uh, I'm a storyteller. I'm a filmmaker. I've done family films. I've done holiday films. I've done sci-fi films, action, horror. So it doesn't matter. If I'm into the story and I'm into the script or if the gig is good and, and I like the script, and because I'll do it for other people too. I just don't do my own projects any longer. I mean, I, I, I'd like doing my own projects but i mean i've produced and directed other people's uh scripts as well so if something grabs my eye and and i feel like you know what it'll be fun to do because ultimately it's i've learned this recently you gotta like what you do and if i love i love what i'm doing but i also want look at everything as is this a type of movie i would go see money i would go watch it in a movie Mm -hmm. Correct. You know, and you're also a fan. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm absolutely 100% a fan. Um, I also like to change. You know, when I hear horror fans say they want something different, they want something different, and then I think it's comical because when the industry gives them something different, they don't like it. They want something. They want. They want <laughs> something back to where. Oh, why are they giving me something new? I want this. I want this. Yep. Right, here it is. Here you go. Oh, I don't like it. Okay, that's so, so true. You, know, you can't, and I realize you can't please anybody. But you know what? The only one person that look you have to please because you have to live with that person every day is you. So if you're as a filmmaker, you're comfortable making those choices, making the making those movies, and cashing those checks and writing the next story, then then do what you do. Make yourself happy and do it. Um, I also tell people the same type of money when somebody says, oh, I spent a lot of money on a trailer or I spent a lot of money on a short film or whatever. You can take that same money and you can make a feature. You, you would just have to alter it a little bit. You know, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, you don't have to go sag. Yeah, you know, I mean, as much as I like SAG, uh, I like thing, but there's there's other ways to tell a story. You don't have to get. Um, I would always get some sort sort of a recognizable face to put in your film because that always helps with distribution. Sure. But I'm not saying go out and get the the guy that was on a reality show 20 years ago or a guy that did a commercial twice because nobody knows who they are. Rule of thumb is if my mom doesn't know who they are, nobody's going to know who they are. <laughs> that is sound advice. And Thomas, how can people stalk you on social media? They can Google me. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got uh, Instagram. I'm under Thomas J. Churchill. 
I'm under Facebook is Thomas J. Churchill. Uh, Twitter is Thomas Churchill. Uh, my website is churchhillproductions.com. Uh, that's three words, churchhillproductions.com. And uh, like I said, just it's easy to put my name in Google and everything will come up and I'll take them to wherever they want to go. Awesome. Well, Thomas, thank you so much for being on the Xander Effect, man. I appreciate your time. And hopefully when this crisis is over, maybe I could go ahead and go on set and interview you on, on, on one of your movies, in one of your movies. Uh, that'll be great, man. I had a great time on the show. Uh, it was an honor to be on your show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for uh, having me here. Likewise, man. And I look forward to having you on it again, man. Trust well, me. You're, you, we, got, we got a lot to talk about, and I'm sure we've only scratched the surface of you. Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. You enjoy the rest of your day, man. You too. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Thomas J. Churchill, for being on the Xander Effect. I appreciate your time. And like I said, we may have only scratched the surface of this awesome director, so we'll be more than happy to have him on the Xander Effect again very soon in the near future. In sports, former MMA uh, athlete and uh, former WWE wrestler Alberto Del Rio has been arrested for many charges, actually, involving sexual assault and Domestic violence charges have been placed against him because of something that happened on uh, May 3rd. Apparently, a woman who is of Spanish uh, speaking, uh, basically she only speaks Spanish, uh, basically accused uh, Del Rio of many, uh, like, uh, uh, just a a crazy, you know, attack that he did against her. Um, He basically uh, went ahead and smashed her cell phone, uh, you know, and and her laptop and attempted to burn her passport in in an attack that he caused against her. He also went ahead and physically assaulted her. He uh, stuffed a sock down her throat where she could barely breathe. Um, When the arresting officer, well, when the officer came and uh, uh, when the responding officer came to you know to her to to her call, uh, he he saw multiple bruises on the accuser's face, arms, legs, and neck. Right now, Del Rio is being held. Uh, you know, it, it, you know he's being held right now in jail for these charges. He also sexually uh, assaulted the woman. According to her, uh, he uh, would hit would hit her with his penis and uh he he for lack of a better word he basically raped her uh you know he he committed sexual acts with her against her wishes so uh del rio whose real name is jose rodriguez uh chukwan is basically in a lot of trouble right now it doesn't look good for the star, uh, seeing as he already has a record of domestic violence. You, if many of you will recall, he was actually dating uh, WWE uh, uh, diva. Um, you know, a, a few years ago, he was dating WWE diva Paige, and that also was uh, was another another issue of domestic violence as well. Mainly, one of the reasons why. Uh, him and her ended their engagement actually because they were engaged to be married and uh, yeah that was that's been an issue apparently that's been a trending issue for or a pattern for Alberto del Rio and uh, who knows what the future holds for uh, for him right now it doesn't look good and uh, who knows where it's gonna go in other sports news. 
Looks like Iron Mike Tyson is back. The 53-year-old was uh, was basically going through a training session video that was obtained by TMZ. And it uh, looks like he put his trainer through the ringer, for lack of a better word, uh, in the training video. And right, at, like, right before the video ended, he looked at the camera and says, I'm back. So it looks like him, he, he's trying to go ahead and make a comeback. So is Evander Holyfield. Both boxers, both legendary boxers. Uh, have been training to do a charity type of uh, exhibition fights. Um, basically, they're they're both uh, getting in shape to go ahead and do something, give something back uh, to charity, and they're happy to do so. They're happy to be training. They're happy to be, you know, uh, getting back in the ring. But the question is, will there be a third fight between Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. That is still yet to be seen. Both haven't really said much, except Holyfield has said that he's down for for another fight, but both represent both uh, uh, camps haven't really said if there's going to actually be a third fight or not, but it would be cool. And let me say this, they decide to go ahead and do that. It would be a huge charity uh, event that would definitely garner in a lot of money uh, for for organizations they might be representing. So I'd be looking forward to to watching uh, you know a uh, third a third class between Tyson and Holyfield. That would be really cool to watch. Up next in video game news, looks like there's gonna be a Civilization Six. Um, new Frontier Pass coming out. We'll talk a little bit about that. But first, here are the Pondhawks. Fire Eyes right here on the Xander Effect. Nice. Yeah. 
was having this your favorite against the Duke Brown. I repped that 305 that day, County that MI yo yo. And we checking in with Xander Dames on the Xander effect. Y'all keep it locked in with my new single with my homie B Taylor, his new single with his homie Duke Brown. It's on me. It's tearing the streets up and the ladies love it. Let's get it.
That was CC Penistons finally right here on the Xander Effect. In video game news, about three and a half years after its release, Civilization VI is finally getting a DLC in the form of a new Frontier Pass. Uh, the new DLC is actually coming out this month, and it, according to uh, Firaxis Games, they're going to be rolling out DLCs uh, you know, every month through March of 2021. Uh, the first DLC pack, uh, they haven't really gone into it too much, but it basically says that the first Frontier Pass, uh, the Mayan and Grand Columbia pack, will add new leaders from uh, both civilizations, as well as new city-states, resources, natural wonders, and uh, new Apocalypse game mode. That's going to be available starting May 21st. Uh, Firaxis is, again, keeping under wraps a lot of what's going on, but they said that if you go ahead and you purchase the packs now, uh, everybody will receive the Teddy Roosevelt and Catherine de, de Medici Persona packs as a bonus, uh, adding to uh, Rough Rider Teddy and Magnificent Catherine variants for the for both the leaders. So that's going to be going on right now. And the second of the New Frontier DLC pack will be all coming in in July. So uh, it's a lot. It's it's going to be a lot going on. And one of the game designers, Anton Stranger, said in a press release, quote, We're very excited to be adding even more content to Civilization VI, ensuring longtime players and franchise newcomers have something fresh to look forward to in the months to come. By delivering new content on a regularly, on a regularly scheduled basis, we'll have more opportunities than ever with the new Frontier Pass to connect with our community as we actively develop and deliver content. So there you go. All you Civilization VI fans, you got some DLCs coming coming your way so stay tuned for that that's the news in case you haven't heard it thank you so much for listening to the xander effect and remember we're still not out of the woods yet there's still uh there's still a lot of uh you know a lot of uh, precautions that need to be taken when going out for essential uh you know to go ahead and buy essential things that you need for the house so when you go out make sure you continue to wear your gloves your masks your goggles if you got them just to make sure that you are keeping yourself safe for not only yourself but also for your loved ones at home and remember music always always heals all we'll see you next time y'all <laughs> I tell yeah you did they ain't believe it though <laughs> one life two brown same game be telling what up Kick it like it's kickball. Power couple. She dripping in that Dolce Gabbana. They want to touch her. Everybody know that's do, girl. What you going to do by me and her take on the world? Now that's the truth. Hey, everyone. The Xander Effect is powered by 5050 Global Music, Inc., Sony Music, The Orchard, and BMG Bertelsmann Group. In association with Art19 Media.